And then the second week, Phil came up here, and what a blessing as he shared about time and facing that line of making sure that you use your time wisely, whether it's in your marriage, with your family, in ministry, and all across with Christ, and making sure you use that time wisely. The way he went into it was beautiful. And today what I want to do is, as I go into part three, I'm actually going to be talking about the second line that we're going to be focusing on. And the second line, if you're taking notes of our series, write this down. It's the line of isolation. Write that. Isolation. I'll give you about five seconds to write that. There it is in our nice um, speckled screen. How many of you love our speckled screen? Amen? Specks all over it? Yeah. Pray for it. We're going to get a new one soon. God is good. We're going to get a new one very soon. Hopefully in the next week's two months or two. No more than two months. By the new year, we're going to have it. Amen. Isolation. We started with this verse, if you remember. The verse to our series, the foundational verse in which we built this series on is this one. It's Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. How many of you remember it? How many of you uh, kind of don't? All right. 22:13. It says this. The lazy man says there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. I shall be slain in the streets. One translation says, the sluggardly man says there's a lion outside. If I go out there, I'm going to die. So I might as well stay what? I might as well stay inside. In the last few weeks, we've discussed that that is not an option in the believer's life. The option is never to stay inside. The option of a believer is to what? To get out of your house and what? Confront those lions. That those lions were never to what? Have power over us. But as children of God, we are called to what? Have power over those lions. And God's people say, amen. Amen. And that's what we've been discussing. And today I want to talk about isolation. And as I started just to pray about this, it's something that God has been stirring in my heart. I started to think about the prophet Elijah. What an awesome story. If you know anything about the prophet Elijah, he was pretty much known as as the most powerful man in the Old Testament. One of the most powerful, respected prophets, prophets of Israel's time. Elijah was not one that you messed with. Elijah would raise up dead people would tell it to rain or, tell it or cause a drought. Stop the rain. Elijah was the kind of man that if he had to um, split the sea open, he would do it. And so was his protege, so would Elisha. Elijah was a very serious person when it came to the things of God. Elisha had done many things for God. Elisha, at one point when we went to Israel a few months ago, we were able to stand at the place where Elijah told King Ahab, he says, grab all the prophets of Baal and bring them up to Mount Carmel. And when we get there, you're going to build an altar and I'm going to build an altar. And we're going to put our sacrifice on the altar. And whoever rains down with fire, he is the one true God. I will call on the name of my God and your prophets who are 450 will call on the name of your God. Remember that story? So they go to the altar, and they go to the mountain, they build an altar, and I was able to stand at that same location. I was able to look at the valley and at the places where most likely the children of Israel would stand, where King Ahab and his royalty would stand. And I stood there, and I remember that I broke off to the side away from everyone when I went to Israel, and I just started weeping, looking at the valley and being on top of Mount Carmel. And I just remembered, I was like, I can't believe this happened here. And God was just showing me things about my life when I was there, he was just speaking directly to me, having a time with the Lord. So Ahab is, uh, Elijah's there and he calls down fire. And we know what happens. Uh, there's a lot of details in between of what he does. He wets it up three times and they call fire, Ahab's people and the prophets of Baal and nothing happens. They begin to cut themselves. They begin to scream all day and Elijah starts mocking them. Ha, ha, ha. Your God is dead. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's in vacation, literally. And he starts to mock them. And then he says, come over here. It's my turn. And he builds an altar. And he says this, Lord God Almighty, so that these people will know that you are the one true God. I pray that you rain down and fire. And he starts to pray. And fire begins to fill the altar. I mean, it's amazing. Everyone bows down and begins to worship the God of Elijah, the one true God, our God. 
And everyone and all the prophets of Baal start running away. And Elijah says, go get them. And he goes to get all the prophets of this false god. And he goes ahead and um, he takes care of them. Let's just put it that way. And they all end up in the other side of the sword. And Elijah and God Almighty has the victory. And all of Israel gives their heart back to God. And they stop faltering between two opinions. And from that moment on, they serve the one true living God. Isn't that a, uh, that's just a summary. How many of you after experience, will be like, I'll be all right for the rest of my life. Shoot, that is pretty powerful if you ask me. But not Elijah. I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. It's, a, it's an interesting story. Because I just read to you what happened with Elijah. He just did something mighty. He just confronted a king. He just killed his prophets. He just proved that the one true God is the one true God. And you would think, well, Elijah should never doubt again. Hey, you've ever met someone that has like a near-death experience? No? Yeah? Feedback? probably have some of you and then you always say this what oh for sure this should what this should change them forever if you know someone that is strung out on some sort of sin some sort of drug and they have a near-death experience everyone always says oh this is the eye opener sometimes you got to hit rock bottom right don't we say that for sure now they're now their lives are going to be changed forever well here's elijah he had such an eye opener right he had such a such an experience, church. Watch this. For sure, this is it now. <laughs> For sure, his life is never going to be the same again. Everyone say not. Yeah, watch this. So we find ourselves in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah just finished doing, right? And now he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel, she sent a messenger to Elijah, and she said this, Let the gods do to me and more. If I do not make your life, Elijah, as the life of one of them, of one of those by tomorrow about this time, because of what you did to my prophets, Elijah, by this time tomorrow, the same thing be unto you. If not, let it be my life. So Jezebel, a woman, of, I'm not saying anything about you ladies. You, you, girl, you, you women are serious. But a woman says and threatens this man. By this time tomorrow, same thing that happened to my prophets will happen to you. If not, so be it to me. And look what he says next. She says next. And then in verse 3 says, And when Elijah saw that, that he was being threatened by Jezebel. He arose and he ran for his life and he went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah. And what does it say next? And he left his what? Servant there. I'm going to stop, go, stop, go as we read this passage. I want you to see what, what takes place here. Elijah just had an amazing encounter with God, church. He just had an eye-opener with the Lord. And then in verse 1 and 2, this woman begins to threaten his life. You're going to be dead by this time tomorrow, the same way they died. And in verse 3, we see that Elijah is scared. He is afraid for his life. The scripture says he arose and he ran. He ran for his life. Elijah ran. Eli Listen to me. The man who caused fire from heaven is running from a threat of this woman. That shows how serious you women are. But just, just think about this for a moment. And he runs away from her and he's terrified for his life. A man who once showed himself to be a man of faith and of courage. A man who trusts God. For miracles. A man who goes to wherever, wherever the Lord leads him. A man who does and says whatever the Lord commands. Elijah we're talking about here, guys. When you look at the life of Elijah, this is a person whose purpose, whose call was to listen to God's word. But not only listen to his word, not only listen to his voice, but to also what? Whatever he hears to what? To speak it to others. Powerful man. 
But I want everyone to look at the words on verse 3. What is there? Or should I say, what is not there? That always seems to be there for Elijah. And in verse 3, the word of the Lord at that very moment is absent. It's absent. Or should I say, it's just silent maybe. Maybe it's there, but it's just, you know, when you put your TV on, it's on, but, but you muted it because you wanted to listen to other things and other distractions and other stuff, so you put your TV on mute. And in the midst of Elijah's life, he's being threatened. And what is always constantly there, the word of the Lord for a moment of his life, where are you, Lord? Lord, where are you? Something he was not accustomed to, church. I've seen people, I've seen people do some crazy things, and listen to when I tell you this, when they feel that the Lord is not present. How about you? You've ever met someone that says, I haven't heard from God lately. I'm reading and nothing's happening. I'm praying and nothing's occurring. I don't hear from God, so I might as well just stop. I might as well just go do my own thing. I might as well just run away. I might as well just not go to church anymore. I don't feel God anymore. Any, anyone ever heard someone say that to you? I have so many times. I don't feel him in my marriage. I'm going to run. What? I don't feel him anymore. He's not present. He's not there like he used to be there. Well, this is exactly what's happening in Elijah's life. Jezebel, the shock of Jezebel's resistance after him leads Elijah to forget. It leads him to stop thinking theologically, actually. And he flees from this area called Jezreel to the north area of Beersheba. If you do the miles, it's about 120 miles. I'm going to tell you guys something. A person who is traveling by foot, you're looking at about six days getting there. He didn't just run home. He didn't just run to his camel or to his car, right? He didn't just run to a friend's house. Listen to me. He ran for six days. It wasn't just like a spur-of-the-moment thing. Oh, let me just get away for a little while. It's no, I'm taking off, and my goal and my agenda is to what? Never come back. I'm gone. And he takes off. It's 120 miles. She will never find me here. She'll never catch me over here. And he runs away from this woman. He ran, the Bible says, for his life. He ran for his life. But guys, guys, come here. As he runs for his life, what happens? He grabs the man that does life with him. He grabs his servant. And what does he do with his servant? What does he do to him? Go back to verse 3 if you have to. I'm not going to give you the answer. You say it. He leaves him there. Elijah, more than ever, more than ever in your life, you need someone now by you. Yes or no? Like, don't leave me now when I'm going to die. <laughs> don't leave me now when things don't look good. I need you now more than ever. Have you ever been there in your life? <laughs> I just need someone. But instead, Elijah doesn't keep him by his side. And instead, what does Elijah do? You stay here, I'm going to run. And he leaves his servant behind. And he takes off. I'm going to share something. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. What a danger it is to separate ourselves from people, people that we need at a time that we need them most. How dangerous it is. How many of you can say amen? I've seen that, man. I, I've seen people when their lives are crumbling and then their solution to their life crumbling. Guess what it is? Guess what it is? I'm going to stop going to church. No! Get around the people of church. Ask for prayer. Fast together. I love that when a brother will call me because I'm going through something or I'm speaking to someone and they just say, let's pray together. 
I've had it in my times in my life where I'm going through something and I share it to a brother in the faith and they look at me right in the eyes and they say, starting tomorrow, why don't we fast about that thing? You're literally, you're literally thinking about not eating for a couple days to fast with me about something in my very own life and they look at me and say, yes, how can I not? I love you. I'm your brother. I'm by your side to fight this with you. One of the worst things that we could do is separate ourselves from people that we need at a time when we what? When we need them the most. And that's exactly what Elijah does. How dangerous is this for your life? He's at a crucial moment of his life. So what does he do? In the most crucial moment of his life, Elijah isolates himself. He separates himself. And he journeys. He journeys to a far distance. Elijah, did you forget who you are? Or, or, or more importantly, Elijah, did you forget what God has done? Church, 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 did you forget who you are? Church, better yet, did you forget, come on, come on, what God has done? How many of you could say God has done a good thing? Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Some things could be very sorry and sucky right now. Or some things can get very sorry and sucky later on. Or some things have been very sorry and sucky in the past. But in the midst of all the sorriness, hey, how many of you can say God has done a good job? Amen. And Elijah, what has God done? Haven't you noticed? He's never left you. Let, let's talk about, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six. So not because there's anything in the number I just picked. Um, I only read through six. I couldn't find seven. If not, trust me, I would have stayed away from six and I would have picked seven just for you. <laughs> I know some of you how you think. Here we go. In 1 Kings 17.1, let's look at some of the, li the life of Elijah before the events that we're reading right now. Let's look at Elijah's life. Ready? In, in 1 Kings 17.1, what does he do? He causes rain to cease for three and a half years. I'm just going to go through them quick. The second thing in 1 Kings 17, 4, he's being fed by the ravens. Hey, let me ask you a question. You've ever done this? Like yesterday, I was starving. I'm doing daddy duty this weekend, and it's going pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. My wife had to go to school, and she had to travel, and, and I said, I got this. I got my son. I'll face the lion, right? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I've done good. My, my son is in the back, and he's still in one shape, and, and I'm still in one shape, and I got here on time for church, but... It's been rough, though. But yesterday, I, I said, okay, daddy day. And I went with my family. I took them to the water, to the beach. And I said, we could do this, right? And, and in the process of being so busy with my son, I didn't have time to eat. I didn't have time to make breakfast. I didn't have time to get food because I had to give time to my son and make sure he had everything he needed. And next thing I knew, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, no wonder I have a migraine. All I ate was a granola bar at 10. Right? So yesterday I kept saying, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. Never, never, listen to me, never. Now one time I went to the beach and I saw so many seagulls and so many birds. <laughs> now one time did one of those birds bring bread to me. Elijah was at a point in his life when he was so hungry and God said what? Watch this. And he brings up birds of the air to bring him food. Elijah, God feeds you with the birds of this air and you're running from a woman. Not because there's anything wrong with the woman, but I'm just letting you know what you're doing. You got a bit more muscles in her, man. Number three, he even does a miracle of multiplication with the widow. Remember the widow? What does he do? He multiplies her bread and multiplies her oil. In the next chapter, in 1722, he does something even greater than that. He what? He brings her son back to life when he died. Wow. Elijah, you could bring dead people to life, man. I'm sure if you say something, you could kill her just by the sound of your voice. I forgot what number on. The next number, 1 Kings 17, 22. Oh, no, the next one, number 5. Here it is. 1838 of 1 Kings. He calls fire from heaven, like I just told you, up on the altar. Hey, have you ever said, and I've done this stuff, like I've done this kind of stuff. Lord, I want to see you. Come on. Fire, fall. And it's like, oh, it doesn't happen. Come on. You guys know you've done that, man. You've got, Dirk is going like this to me. You've never gone to the beach. Come on, Lord. Now I just want to try one time. Let me see if I can walk on water. And it never happens. And Elijah caught fire and fire falls. 
I mean, think about the things that Elijah did in 1 Kings 18. It's a drought going on. He says, rain, and guess what? Rain comes. And now we find Elijah in the next chapter, 19. And he's not calling fire. He's not raising up a dead person. He's not multiplying bread or oil. He's not doing any of these things. Church, in the next chapter, after Elijah has had all these accomplishments, what is he doing in chapter 19, guys? He's what? He is running scared for his life, but most importantly, forgotten everything that the Lord had done in his life. Church, don't you ever forget what God has done in your life when things get serious, when things get dark, when things get difficult. The way you get through them is by remembering of the good things and of the faithfulness of God in your life. Never stray from that. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of a test of your testimony. You have a testimony that has power over those circumstances. You ponder on those things, church. You don't say, I forgot. Where's my God? God's like, I am there. I've never left you. I love what Psalm says in 105.5. He says, remember his marvelous works. Everyone say, remember. Yeah. Remember them which he has done. That's good. Like, like he's telling you what? To constantly what? Think about these things. Think about them. Remember his marvelous works. Look at chapter 77 of the same book of Psalms. Verse 11 and 12, the psalmist says this. I will remember. Say it with me. I will remember i hope so remember what the works of the lord surely i will remember your wonders of old look at verse 12 i will also meditate on all your work and not only will i meditate on it but i will constantly do what talk talk about your good deeds not only will I remember all your goodness, not only will I meditate constantly thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, but I'm also going to what? I'm going to tell people about it. So that way when they see me in a situation like that I'm in today, they could say, how the heck do you do it? Like, let me talk to you about Jesus. That's how I do it. Because I remembered he did it last year and he could do it again this year. Because I remembered he did it yesterday. Come on, church. And I know that he could still do it today. Whoa, that's not biblical. Yes, it is. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He could do it. And you remember those good works. You remember the wonders of old. You meditate on that work. And you talk about it constantly. And this is what we're to do, church. When we feel like our mind is having the best of us like my mind does so often, has the best of me. When we are losing faith, when we are in dire need of hope, everyone, ready? Don't forget. Don't forget his marvelous works. Don't forget his wonders of old. You remember them. And not only do you remember them, but listen to this. As you remember them, you are strengthened in his faithfulness and in his truth. Because he says in the book of Revelations, for I am faithful and true. So do you find yourself today, church? Do you find yourself remembering them? Or are you one that forgets, that runs away, that runs for your life? Let's look at what unfolds. Ready? Let's go to verse 4. We're only in the third verse. We've got to get going here. All right. Verse 4 says this. And, I'm, and it says this. Ready? Everyone say, I'm there if you're there. For all seven of you. Here we go. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness... And he came and he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Come on, man. You sit. Like, you just called fire, bro. Dude, you just called fire. Now you're going to kill me, Lord? <laughs> you just caused a drought. You just made it rain. You just lifted up a dead woman's son. You just multiplied bread and oil. And now you're going to say, kill me, son. Hey, where have I been for the last few years? Have I not been there? Now you want to die? Kill me, Lord. Look what he says next. It is what? It's enough. It is enough. Lord, now, Lord, now, now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till later. Now, Lord, take my life. And I, man, this is so biblical right now, what I'm about well, let me not get there yet. Lord, take my life. But what does he say next? Because why? What's, what's, what's happening to him? 
Everyone that's been before me has been better than me. My fathers are better than me. It's enough. Take my life. I'm not better than, than even my fathers before me. What is Elijah doing while well, he isolates himself? One of the things that all of us do when we isolate ourselves. He begins to what? He begins to compare his life with others. You should write that down in your notes. Do not compare. Let me tell you something. Ready? Isolation. Isolation does that to you. Ready? It's dangerous. God never called you to be like anyone else. How many of you can say amen? Right now, get that weight off you. God has never called you to be like anyone else but yourself. You could write that on your notes. Be myself. The next point, he never anointed you with the same anointing as anyone else. You have a different anointing. You have a different gift. You do it differently if you think it might be the same. There's a difference to you. But when we open the door to the enemy because we're scared, church, because of something that has become difficult, because something we can't control. How many of you, don't not raise your hands, but rhetorical question. How many of you like to have control of things, right? And then you don't have control of a situation anymore, and you go berserk because you don't have no more control like Elijah. And then we start thinking with a mind, when you lose control, you start thinking with a mind that is not of his word, a mind that is not of Christ. And what do you start to think? Some people start to think this way, what? I've had enough. What do you mean you've had enough? Church, you're just getting started. It's just begun. Don't come over here and say you've had enough. You know how many meetings I've had in that little back room and the people have sat there and said, I've just had enough. I've had enough of him. I've had enough for her. I've had enough for him. I've had enough with this church. I've had enough of all of this. And I started to talk to them, and it's because their lives are what? It's they're isolated. And their minds are thinking other things, and they say, I've had enough. I've had enough. Some even get to the place of, just take my life. And some will say, well, I'm no good, and I've never been better than, and, I'll never build, and I never will be better. And the truth is, that's what they say. I can't do anything. What, what are they saying? What are they really saying? There's a what? There's a what? There's a lion outside. I can't do this. There's a lion outside. And if I go outside, I'm going to be slain. I shall be killed. Ever feel like you've had enough? Ever feel like you've had enough? Not enough food. Just ever feel like you've had enough? Enough of him, enough of her, enough of them, enough of it, enough of God, enough of this place? Ever feel like you've had enough? I'm going to tell you something, church. Conquer that line. Why? Why am I going to tell you to conquer that line? Everyone should write this in your notes. Because there's a greater fight in you. There's more fight in you. Amen? Amen? Isolating ourselves is a dangerous thing. We tend to think these things. Ready? Follow with me. Have you ever thought these things? No one understands what I've experienced. No one understands what I'm going through. Ever been there? I don't want to be reminded of things that I don't want to remember anymore in my life. Here are some things to help you determine whether you are isolating yourself, whether you are withdrawing yourself. And we're going to get into the passage. Ready? Some of the effects of isolation. Here it is. These are people that have no one to turn to when personal emergencies happen. Do you have anyone to turn to in your life? I want you to check these things off, yes or no. Another one, a person who isolates themselves They have no one to confide in during a crisis. Do you have anyone that you could trust? Uh, This kind of person avoids, avoids people, watch this, and activities that you would usually enjoy. Ever been there? I used to love doing that at church. I used to love doing that with them. I used to love speaking like that in front of them. And then now you just don't enjoy those things that you usually enjoyed. A person who is isolated avoids contact with family and friends. And they really want to be by themselves most of the times. A person who is isolated is often upset at people. And because they're upset at people, they grow tired with them. And they want to be alone. So they separate from others. Because you're getting mad at them more often. You're getting tired of them. Here's my last little point of an effect of isolation. The more time that you spend alone, the less you feel like people understand you. And the less you feel like people understand you, The truth is, the more time you're going to continue to spend alone. When you look at isolation, one of the greatest things that it does is it brings depression in your life. 
And I know so many believers, speaking of one that used to, that in their faith and in their Christianity, man, we're struggling with this word. It's almost like a curse word in Christianity, isn't it? Depression. And sometimes isolation does that. And sometimes because of depression, it brings forth isolation. And that's a result of it. But I want you to know this fact right now before I continue getting to the message. You do not suppress. You do not suppress those thoughts. You do not suppress that isolation and that depression. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. You have needs in your life. Do not suppress those needs. You surrender them over to the Lord so that he could fill them and that he could heal your life. Can you guys just say amen to that? I'm going to share a scripture with you. If you're taking notes, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. Proverbs 18, verse 1. It says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. That's a powerful scripture. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against wise judgment. One translation says wise counsel. That's the truth. Many people, they isolate and they enter to what I'm going to call today spiritual withdrawal. And they socially withdraw from church and from people. And they say, well, I need to fix some things in my life, so I'm going to take some time off. I need to fix some spiritual things in my life. But most of the times, when they isolate themselves, and when they say they're going to fix things spiritually in their lives, what happens is they become isolated to their relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep going and watch what happens and unfolds in Elijah's life. We're in chapter 19, verse 5 now. Follow with me. I'm going to read a lot now. I'm going to read 5, 6, 7, 8, four chapters. Read with me, and then we'll talk about them. Are we there? So remember, it's enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Verse 5. So as he laid and slept under this broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him. And the angel said to him, what? What did he say, church? Arise and eat. Verse 6. He looked, and there by his head was a cake, a cake that was baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he laid down again. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time. Thank you, Lord, for coming back a second and third and fourth and fifth. And he touched him again, and he said, Arise and eat. I highlighted this part in my scripture, in my Bible. Arise and eat, comma, why, why, why? Why should Elijah get up? Watch what the angel says next. Because the what? The journey is too great for you. Eat. So he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days. And 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. When you look at verses 5 through 8, Elijah thought that his journey was over. He thought, well, I've had enough. He just said that in the, first, in the verse before, in verse 4, I've had enough. But the Lord, being so gracious as he is, sees this. I want you to know this. That the Lord never forgets us, even in times when we forget him. Elijah forgot about the Lord, but guess what, Elijah? I never what? I never forgot about you. How many of you can rejoice today because there's moments that you forget about God and there are moments that you have forgotten about God, but God has what? Touched you in your side and said, Son, daughter, I have not ceased to what? To forget about you. I still know you have a plan, a purpose. I love you. Get up, eat. There's a journey that I've called you to. That when I forget about God, he doesn't forget about me. He always, he always knows what you need, church. Elijah, wake up. Listen, wake up. Because I baked you a cake. Oh, my God. Hey, come on. God ever bake you a cake? He has in my life. But not physical. But there's been moments where I'm like, I have no idea. Watch this. I'm so weak. I'm so broken. I'm so hurt. Right now, I don't know the answer to anything. And then out of nowhere, God just bakes me a cake. What do I mean by that? He just gives me strength. And I eat from God. And I go another day. 
because God bakes cakes. I should, admit, I should have titled this message, God Bakes Cakes. He bakes cakes. And if that's not enough, Elijah, get up because I brought you a cold jar of iced water. How many of you like iced water on a hot wilderness day? <laughs> Arise, eat, and drink. Oh, Lord, I thought I was over. I thought it was over. And the Lord says what? It's not. It's just getting started, as a matter of fact. I have even better things stored for you. How many of you in this point of your life could say amen? I don't care how old you are or how old your kids are or how old your kids are not. I don't care what part or area of your life you're in. How many of you can rejoice today and say amen for God has better things stored for me in the days to come? Elijah, get up. You know what he's telling Elijah? You need me in this life. When? When? Oh, man, who said that? Now. You need me in this life now, Elijah. You can't separate from me now. Come on, come on, guys. What does the Lord tell him in verse 7? The journey is what? What does he say next? It's what? It's too great for you. You know what he's telling Elijah, right? You can't do it on your own. It's too much. It's too great. You need me now. And I looked at this passage and I got so excited because I said, that's the church. For us, the journey is too great. What is the answer then? We need Jesus now, with us now, not tomorrow, not the next day, not later, not when we go to court. Not when we, it's now. We need the Lord now. Those lions outside that are showing their teeth, that are roaring at us that say that we can't go outside because they're going to kill us? Well, guess what? They're there to keep us in because they know that the moment that we walk out, they are defeated because the Lord is with us now to conquer those giants, now to destroy those lions, now get up, Elijah, eat from my cake, drink from my water, find strength in me is what God is really saying there. There's nothing really in the cake. There's nothing really in the water. What God is saying is what? It's found in me. Get up, go, for the journey's too great. You need me in your life. Man, thank you for making me cakes. Because I need you. I need your cakes in my life. I need your water in my life. Because I can't do it on my own. Let's keep reading, okay? Verse 9, verse 9. Everyone with me in verse, in verse 9. And then it goes on and he says this. And then he went into a cave as he went into the cave, he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord. Guys, stop, 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 stop. What behold, what happened? The word of the Lord. Is this the first time we've read this in the passage? Mm, yeah, we've heard it in that phrase. The Lord has already been speaking to him through the angel, through the cakes, through the water. But right now, it says, behold, here's the word of the Lord now. And the word of the Lord came to him and tells him this. Elijah, what? what does he say? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You must be kidding me. I just fed you. I just strengthened you. And you're hiding again in the cave? What are you doing here? Let's keep reading. So he said, I, I've been very passionate. I've been very zealous. Ever been there? Oh, Lord, I've been, I've been serving you. I've been tithing, I've been giving, I've been going to every service, I've been singing, I've been dancing, I've been playing, I've been doing, I've been doing all these things, God, and still I haven't. Those people you gotta be careful for. Oh Lord, I I've done, I've done, I've done, I've done, but I haven't I haven't I haven't felt like I've what? I've received the receipt. God's like, oh man, you got this whole thing wrong. You don't do things to receive things. You got this whole thing wrong. Look what he says here. I've been very passionate and zealous. For the children of Israel, they forsake your covenant. They turn down your altars. Everything that I've done, and I don't receive anything in return. These guys don't get it. They killed. I killed your prophets with the sword. But look what he says next, guys. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah got to the point of his life where he's hiding in a cave, and he says, Lord, I've done all these great things, and I'm at a point where I feel like I'm the only one what? Yeah, I'm the only one that really understands me. I'm the only one that really gets this. Where else can I go, God? I know you just made me cakes. I know you just gave me water. I know you're saying that you're with me in this journey. Ever been there? Ever been there in your faith? I know you're with me, God. I know you say you're with me. I know you're with my family. I know you're with my finances. 
I know you're with this church, Lord. I know you're with my son who's really giving me a headache right now. I know you're with my daughter. I know you're with that sick person in my family. I know, I know, I know, I know, Lord. But I still choose to what? To still bask in my misery and lose faith. And God looks at us and says, what are you still doing here? What's going on here? And he's like, well, I don't know. No one really understands. No one gets it. So I might as well just hide in a cave here. And then he says what? What does God say in verse 11? Get out. (laughs) I love that. Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord's going to pass by. I love this because God's like, man, he didn't get it with the cakes. He's like, come here, I'm going to show you something. Walk out with me. Come here, let me show you something. Stand by the edge here and look what it does here. The Lord's going to talk to you and it says, a great and strong wind tore into the mountains. It broke the rocks. Can you imagine how strong that wind was to break a rock? I've never seen that. It broke it in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. Oh, chucks, man. And after that, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, everyone, church, what does it say? There was a what? There was a still, small voice. Still, small voice. So it was that when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out. He stood in the entrance of the cave. And then suddenly a voice came to him again. And once and for all, it asked him one more time. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verses 9 through 14. One moment. He's running. Come on. Come on. And the next moment, now he's hiding in a cave. And then twice the Lord says, what? The heck are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And every time the Lord asked him, what are you doing here? Elijah's answer was always what? They're after me. They're going to kill me. Come on. I alone am left. I'm done. No one gets it. There's a line outside. If I step out, I'm going to be killed. I'm done. What are you doing here? You know what that word, you know what that question means? What are you doing here? You want to know what it means? It's more of a self-examination for Elijah than it is a question from the Lord. When he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's actually saying, Elijah, examine yourself. Because I know where you're at. What are you doing here, church? You're not possibly scared, church, of the lion outside, are you? Her name might be Jezebel. You've isolated yourself because of that. What are you doing here, he's saying. You've come such a long way. You know you're not supposed to think like that, is what he's telling Elijah. It's what he's telling New Life. He says, those lions, they can't kill you? And who said that you were alone anyways? What does he say? He says, go outside by the mountain. I want to show you something. And what does the Lord show him? Well, he shows him this. In verse 3, the word of the Lord was absent. But in verse 12, what happens? The voice of God speaks to him in a still, small voice. Hey, church, come on. Come on, get the revelation. Get it. Catch it. That's all we need. All we need to walk out of our isolation, out of our depression, and into our victory is the voice and the word of God in our lives. That's all you need, church. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you need to go through a step, through a process, through a people, through a prophet, through a man, through a thing, through an organization. All you need is the word of God and its truth in your life. And the Bible says that if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And that's the truth. A still small voice speaks to him. And that's all he needs is the word of the Lord. His word, his truth in our lives. Listen, it drowns out all lies that have us bound believing that we are defeated when truly we are not. Because nothing in this book, in every single one of the books, 66 to be exact, never does it tell me that me in Christ, I am defeated. Never. So how can I start believing that now? I got the victory because Christ is living in me. And that's the same for you. 
And that's what he's taught in Elijah. And that's what he's saying here. So what does the Lord do? I'm going to end now. And there's not much I could tell you, but as I close up and end, let's read the last few verses and look how the Lord reestablishes him. Look how the Lord restores him. And do not miss this. Probably one of the most important parts. Everyone, go to verse, I believe we're in 15 now. And then the Lord said to Elijah, Go return on your way. <laughs> what is he basically saying? Same thing he told Moses, right? Go back to Egypt. Go back to where you're running from. He's telling the Proverbs 22, 13 guy what? Go back what? Go back outside. Get out of the house. Go face the lion. Go face Egypt. Go face Jezebel. Hey, come here. Come here. Go face your coworker. Go face your child. Go face your spouse. Go, go, hey, go face your bank account. Can I say that? Go face the enemy. He, tell, he says, Elijah, go, go back outside. Go return. I didn't call you here. Hey, Elijah, you think I actually called you to retire in a cave? You're the fool that walked 120 miles. Walk 120 miles back. I didn't tell you to isolate yourself. Go back and say sorry. Go back and restore relationships. Go back and heal your heart. Go back and face the offender. Go back. Go return. And when you arrive, you're going to start doing this because I've called you to do this. You're, hey, Elijah, you're a prophet, so start acting like one. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Children of God, you're children of God, so start what? Yeah, yeah, just, just come on. Grab your oil, he tells Elijah. Hey, hey, can you see a father talking to a son? Right here? Is it just me? Do I just have fun like that with the Bible? Son, pick up the oil. You could do it. Come on and follow me. You're going to have to go now and do what you forgot to do. Anoint people king, anoint people prophet, and go be a prophet that I've called you to be. Come on, son. Pick up the anointing. Pick up your gift. Pick up yourself. Let's go work. Children of God, come on, pick up your talent. Start dancing again. Start smiling again. Start rejoicing again. Amen. Children of God, come on. Lay down next to him again. Come on. Lay down next to your wife again. Come on, you could do it. Start telling your children you love them. Come on. Children of God, come on. Pick it up the way you used to preach to me about me at work. Come on. Pick up the oil. Children of God, let's go. Start tithing like you used to. Come on, you used to be good at it. Come on. Children of God, let's go. Start showing Christ. Pick it up. Pick it up. I love it. I love the word of God. Go ahead and anoint these people. Do what you're called to do, man. Anoint this guy as king. Anoint this guy as king of Israel. Anoint the other one as prophet in your place. Hey, you know what I would have done right there? Whoa, as prophet in my place? Come on, I made a mistake. Don't kick me out. I know I messed it up, but you're going to put someone in my place? Does anyone know why? Why is there a prophet in Elijah's place ready to be anointed? I have a better journey for you. Come on, guys, come on. Elijah, I have somewhere better for you. I want you to anoint someone. Someone's going to take over. His name is Elisha. He's going to do it. But where's God going to take Elijah? Anyone know? Anyone ever read the Old Testament? I'm going to take you up. I'm going to bring fire and angels and chariots, and they're going to rapture you up here. I'm taking you somewhere better. But I need you to do some work first. And I got a greater place for you. Hey, church, I need you to do some work. Trust me. I got something better, though. And look how it ends off. Ready? It's beautiful. 
Look at verse 18, guys. After I've told you to anoint everyone that I told you to anoint. Verse 18. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. Everyone go. I've kept 7,000 in Israel. And all their knees have not bowed down to Baal. And every mouth has not what? What is God really telling Elijah? You have 7,000 friends waiting for you. What was Elijah's main concern always? I'm a what? I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm alone. And God says what? You're not. I got 7,000 waiting for you. I love that, man. You're not alone, man. Church, the enemy makes you think that you are alone because he wants to bind you and he wants to grab your thoughts and he wants to bring them to his own subjection. But it's not like that. You bring your thoughts to the obedience of Christ. You are not alone. You have an army just within these four walls that are with you to fight with you and for you for a greater cause. You're not alone. And the most important thing that anyone sitting in this building is we have God in our side. I'm not alone. So when the enemy lies to you again, the Lord establishes him. You're not alone, church. Don't isolate. Don't withdraw yourself. There are people there to stand with you, to fight with you. And all those things that you were thinking, Elijah, all those things that you were thinking, church, they were lies. They were lies. Of course, there are others who are there to defend and to fight with you. And then he says, of course, I am there to defend and to fight with you. For I alone am your God. Church, fight isolation. Fight depression. If you know someone that is, show them the truth of Christ. They're not alone. Pick them up and tell them they're not alone. Jesus is with them, and not only them, but we are with them. Amen? I'll tell you what, let's do something together. We're going to end. And as we end, go to Psalm, remember we read it? 77, and then you could stand up. In the book of Psalm 77. And once you're there, you could just stand. Psalm 77. end with this passage you've ever read the word and you've just allowed the word to be honey to your lips you ever done that you just, you've ever you've ever drank some water and just let it like cool your whole system down we're going to read Psalm 77 and let it do that to you Listen to the words of the psalmist. He says, I cried out to God with my voice. Maybe that's where some of us are. And he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. That's this, right? God, I need help. My soul refused to be comforted. Look what he says. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. His mind wasn't right. His heart wasn't right. Verse 4. He goes back to the Lord and he says, But you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I've considered the days of old. The days of old. The years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. Look at what he's saying. I meditate within my heart and my spirit makes diligent search. He's, he's in trial. 
He's in darkness, but what is he doing? He's thinking about the what? About the works that God has done. I'm hopeless, but in my hopelessness, I'll remember times of hope when you were there. And in that, I will find strength. That's good. Look at verse 7. We read this today. Well, the end as we get there. Will the Lord reject me forever? Will he be favorable no more towards me? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forever? Question, 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 question. Has God forgotten to be gracious with me? Has his anger shut up? In his anger, has he shut up his, his mercies? And then I said, this is my anguish. Another way of saying that is, this is my infirmity. I'm sick. I'm depressed. I'm isolated. I'm lost. But verse 11, I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. And I will also meditate on all of your work. I will ponder. And I will talk of your deeds. Look what he says. For your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Now he's asking the real questions. For you are the God who does wonders. Come on, church. For you have declared your strength among the peoples. And you with your arm redeemed your people. And then he goes on and says, The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and were afraid. The depths trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Arrows flashed about. Lightning. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path was in the great waters. Your footsteps, yes, they were unseen, but you still continued to lead your people. What is he saying? You've been there. You are there. You were there. You continue to be there. Our God is faithful and true. You are the God of wonders and works. I cannot leave that. And that's what he's saying. I'm a mess. But my goodness, is there goodness in the midst of this? Is there something great out of this? And the answer is, you are with me and have always been with me. I can't isolate. I can't withdraw. I go wherever you go. Man. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I will remember your wonder. I will meditate on your work. I will remember the works. And I will talk of them often. We fight that, amen? We're not meant to be hiding in caves. We're meant, I didn't have time, but one scripture says to go out. Go out to the byways and to the highways. And go tell everyone to what? To come. To get ready for my feast. Church, face the lion. Don't isolate. The journey is great, but God is with you. He supplies the cake and the water. He is your God. How many of you can say amen? Let's worship him. Can you sing that song? Come on, sing it to him.
blot of crimson stain he washed it white as snow hallelujah let's pray together lord we thank you for this morning for this day in which you've made we thank you for you are good and faithful we thank you for your word oh lord for lord you didn't call us to be afraid and fearful and hidden and isolated you didn't call us to be down and out and depressed and lost but i thank you that we're not lazy we're not sluggards that stay in and say if we go out the lion kills but you've made us bold and righteous and we go out to conquer them lions and i pray that across this room if there's anyone here that is dealing with these lions lord let them confront them and if this one the one of isolation is deep in anyone's life i pray for freedom in their lives i pray that they would see your word see your truth and begin to live in it and be established in it that their lives would never be the same from this day forward oh god give them victory give them hope lord bake hot cakes and give them a cold glass of water on this day let them find strength for this journey that is too great for them and let them know that you go with them and before them we love you we thank you and we praise you in the powerful name of jesus christ and let the dolphins win and we say amen and amen come on